audience welcome to my episode with my friend helen dorado alessi helen and i met on long island um, when my i lived there for two years i got involved with this amazing program called her story and her story uses uh, memoir writing to help you tell your own story as well as you to help others tell theirs And these stories are used in a variety of ways, but really focused on social justice, giving a voice to the voiceless. And the people that I got to meet and the things that I learned in this year and a half that I spent with her story on Long Island changed my life. I initially um, found out about it through the mentoring program I was working with at Adelphi University because we were going to partner with them on doing um, a Her Story memoir writing workshop. And from there, I I started helping others tell their story. I started telling my own story. I went through the facilitator training. And I can tell you, it it changed my life. It changed how I vote. It changed how I see the world. It changed how I see people. It taught me how powerful. I always knew stories were powerful. But I didn't fully understand it. So I was sitting in a room with people not my age, born in different countries from different backgrounds. And I heard their stories and I saw them as people. And I also saw people's stories that were similar to mine, that if I were walking down the street, I would have never thought we had a similar story. But yet we, I, and I, and that I will never, it, it was life-changing. Helen is one of the main stays at her story. She facilitates in a variety of places. She facilitates with Latina community. She facilitates in high schools and she changes lives with these stories, with her own story, her own immigrant story of her family, as well as helping others tell theirs. And so we are going to talk about all those things today because how she is wired and her why tied directly into all the things she's involved with. She has a very sound um connection to that. Helen doesn't spend time in things that she doesn't feel fully invested in. And, and I think that is, that's one of the most profound things about her. And if we could all get there and be that invested in the right things with our time, how much more peace we would have in our lives, knowing, knowing how we're spending our time. So I would like to introduce Helen by um, her character traits that she identified She is kind, she is self-reliant, she is a lover of brave and real conversations. She is a seeker of truth and understanding. She has a strong sense of helping people, enabling people, hearing their stories. She's a builder of belongingness. She will not turn a blind eye to justice, absolutely. And she by, and I, 
I relate to this completely because I'm still in process on this. We are both recovering people pleasers. So um, all the things about us. So Helen, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here with you, Melissa. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. For more information on Helen, you can refer to the show notes, the blog on our podcast website, embracinglayers.com or follow us on Instagram at Embracing Layers. And there will be notes um, after the podcast. We will work on those notes, getting that information in there. So you can learn about all the things that Helen is involved with, um, websites to follow, places you can find her in regards to her work. Um, all of those things will be in there. So don't miss that because she's doing some amazing things that she's not only doing locally on Long Island, it's now global because of Zoom and technology and all the things that they learned that they could do through COVID. Um, so um, Helen, to start off today, I want to talk about this. Um, and it's a difficult topic for women, especially because we are the taker carers of everyone around us. But how do you prioritize self-care in your life? And what does that look like for you? You know, I think it's so interesting that um, our society is moving in so many different directions. Um, I think between the Me Too movement and the feminist movement, we still have difficulty as women because of our society holds us up as you know the caretakers of everybody that how can you give yourself the attention you need and I have a friend who I was talking to recently and she said to me you know oh we've been having a great conversation but what has Helen done for Helen lately you know and it really helped to crystallize in my mind that when someone has the example of saying, you know, when you get on an airplane, they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then your baby. Oh, I can sense that society is helping us to move into this time where it's imperative that we start taking better care of ourselves as women, as mothers, as grandmoms, as individuals. Yeah. And Society is counting on us to move into this direction because, as we all know, the mental health and emotional health of the family and of communities rely on women being strong uh, physically as well as emotionally and mentally. So um, I had a very difficult, difficult time some years back and realized that I couldn't stand being by myself. Mm. I always needed to have people around me. And I would, would wonder, why do I get so anxious when I'm by myself? And I realized it was because I didn't know myself. Mm. And so it was like, when you hang out with somebody you don't know, you get anxious. Yeah. You get nervous. Like, what am I going to say? And how do I fill space? How do I, you know, and so I started this and it started in a crazy way. Um, I started reading books about the secret and enlightenment and Brene Brown. And I just started like looking into, you know, what we need to learn beyond the books 
that we get at school, you know, and um, I started very slowly trying to figure out ways where I could be comfortable by myself Mm. and how I can soothe and cope when I'm feeling anxious and nervous. Yeah. Because so many people are suffering with anxiety and depression. And I had had a bout of both. I started to feel as the world was kind of feeling out of control and unraveling. I needed to really ratchet that up. So I was like, what is my favorite time of the year? For me, it's summer. And what what do I love about summer? The ocean, the beach, the sun, the freedom, the, you know, being jovial. And then I started thinking, what do I need to relax? Hmm, like, what if I came up with my own spa bath and I would decorate my bathroom like summer using my summer beach towels and, um, you know, I would drink coconut juice and I would with a little something in it, let's be honest. And, and, um, you know, and I would, that worked so well for me that I started thinking of other ways that I could, you know, start taking care of me as a busy person who works in the nonprofit sector and always taking care of others. Yeah. The, the, um, other thing is you have to, I had to remind myself that I was important. Absolutely. I mean, we will not put time into something we don't think is important. And I had to think of myself as important, not only to my family, my work, my community, but important to me. Yeah. Like, like, I, st- I started thinking about what I was like as a little kid, mm. like, and how I had all of these dreams before, you know, there's this uh, philosopher, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, and he talks about how, you know, when we're growing up with our families, that our families domesticate us. Mm. And in order to domesticate us, a part of our wild child Mm -hmm. gets lost like society pushes down on us and I have to say especially little girls yes right yep oh how sweet is she oh she's so giving and loving and you know the boys get to be like rambunctious and brave and out there and girls get to be tiny we tiny ourselves. Yeah. I, mean, I Melissa, there was something you had said about making ourselves small. Mm-hmm. You know, that we constantly make ourselves smaller than. Yep. Lesser than. So I really started thinking about, and I, I encourage your audience to think about themselves when they were little kids. I love that. Like, were they... Were they mountain climbers? Were they rock climbers? Were they, you know, did they love being in nature and looking at snakes and tadpoles and all of that stuff? Yeah. And then somehow mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and church Mm -hmm. told you this is where you should be behaving. You know, little girls 
sit in church with their legs closed and little dresses. And, you know, that's all wonderful, I'm sure, on some level. But we lose ourselves in all of these cultural mandates. They're mandates. Like, think about just Mother's Day. Yes. Like, what if you're, that's not really your thing. You are a mom and you love your children, but maybe you're a writer or maybe you're a mountain climber and, or a career woman. That doesn't mean you're not a good mom. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, there's no holidays celebrating those other things about you. (laughs) Good point. Good point. (laughs) So it's like, so culture even tells you, and what about the woman who doesn't want to be a mom? And, and that's just not what she's cut out for. I mean, there's uh, so much in that. And I love you talk, you've hit on so many great points there. And I think we can't miss out that, that little kid point is so strong The knowing yourself and taking the time and being willing to get to know yourself. So you were able to design something that filled you up because through all those movements that we've talked about, that you talked about and mentioned over the last few years, we have learned that we are your culture. The joke is on you. You're not getting the best of us by depleting us and demanding more from us and not giving us time to love ourselves and take care of ourselves because you only get our best selves when we are at a full cup and we are loving ourselves well. And we've got that full, authentic, genuine cup to give from. And so the gig is up. <laughs> um, essentially, but that was such good points. I love all of that. And I love, it's so true about, I mean, I used to love to make, I used to be out making mud pies with my brother when I was four and five years old, we've made mud pies, we're in the mud. And then until some point, and I remember distinctively when I went into kindergarten and, and into elementary school, that stopped. I started mm. hearing the messaging about um, what I was supposed to look like, be like the kinds of things I was supposed to be engaged in. I didn't make mud pies anymore mm. because I was told that that was something that that made me dirty and dirty was for the boys and not for the girls. And so, yeah, I mean, you hear this. So just breaking down those messages. I love that going back into who you were and what, what made you who you were before somebody like Glennon Doyle says, basically untamed you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, such good points. Thank you so much for that. Um, sure. All right. Confidently setting boundaries. What does that look like for you? Because boundaries, I know for me, that's been a tricky thing that I have literally learned about the last year and a half. Um, where to say yes, where to say no, the kind of conversations I'm willing to have, which has really come up for me in my family the last year, year and a half about those conversations I'm willing and not willing to have. Um, what is what do boundaries look like for you? I I think as a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> it's never been and boundaries have never been an easy thing for me. Yeah. Even even to the detriment of myself. Sure. I think that's the that's the beauty of setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. And to be intentional about it, because I can't stand to see people suffer. I, it just, I don't know who I was in another life, <laughs> but I just, just thinking about it brings me to tears. Yes. And, you know, we know Buddhist tradition says that everyone suffers and you're suffering because of attachment and to detach. But you know, what's interesting about boundaries 
So many people have told me, Helen, you never stay in your lane. You've got to stay in your lane, Helen. And this is something about boundaries, you know, like I get into people's businesses. I listen. I want to know. I, you know, if I can help, I will help. But there comes a time where you have to become an adult for yourself. Yeah. You have to be your own advocate to yourself. Sure. You know, if you are an empathetic person, a compassionate person, somebody in the helping profession, right? We're attracted to the helping profession. Why? Because we're helpers. That's what our nature is. Yep. So it's almost unnatural for us to set up boundaries that are good for us. Yeah. So how do you make that something natural to yourself? It's like anything else. When you develop a habit, You've got to do it consistently and constantly over time. So it's like every morning, every afternoon, whatever time. And don't be so quick to say yes. Don't be so. Why do you have to be so quick to say yes? Because you get that jolt of feel good energy that you're the power hero for somebody else. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh. No, but But, I think that's a great point. Like, and you're just as important. You should be more important to yourself than anybody else. And I am the worst at that. I am the worst at that. (laughs) And it's not because like, oh, look at me. I'm so wonderful. It's more like, it's more like I have to force myself to recognize that I deserve to be protected yeah. by me. Yeah. No one is going to do it for me. No. And protecting, and because they know your heart, people will always come to you. And so identifying those things that are for you and those things are not, because I think I ran the same thing. That's a great thing. Yes. I want to be a part of that without stopping and thinking about, do I have the energy to give to that? What are the things am I giving my energy to? Is there someone else that's better suited for that from a time standpoint? And also protecting because when you are giving so much to these kinds of causes that that carry a lot of emotional weight to them, mm. um, you have to count and measure the toll that's taking on you and making sure you're not overdoing yourself there and taking the time to refill because it will take a toll on you. And I, so I think, for someone like you, you've got to be even more mindful of that because of the kinds of causes that you're working in. They are not for Mm. the lighthearted. They are very intense situations of people that are in very intense needs, support, voices, all those things. And so, Mm. um, and I think that you, I mean, I think it's hard, but I think I see the work you do and it's all work that you're very clearly called to. Um, but it's also like, okay, where's the line even within that? You know, I mean, even within those causes, there's only so much you can do. Um, have you developed, cause you talked about, you know, being aware of that noticing, have you been able to develop a tool where you've been like, I said, yes, but you know what? I need to step back and maybe mm. not. Well, my, my, one of the things in my nature is perseverance and never mm-hmm. giving up. Yeah. What I've learned over time, it's sort of like a football analogy about 
you know, because I don't have patience <laughs> with foolishness <laughs> and waste of time. And why don't people see my point of view? It's so obvious to me <laughs> that we should be doing this, you know, but the truth of the matter is that as you're moving towards the goalpost, every step of that journey is important. Every player in that game is important. Mm-hmm. And so when I step into something, it's hard for me to step out of it, but I've done it twice in this past six months. Mm. And what it's helped me recognize is two things. One is that when you're not so accessible to people, they start recognizing your value and worth in a different way. Mm. context. Yeah. And they're like, Oh crap. Now she's not, you know, what did I do? How could I have done this better? Um, also, you know, in search of jobs and things, and all of a sudden you don't get it. You don't get the job. Do you continue the job search? Do you respond to the people who said, no, this is not the right time for you at our place? And sometimes the world or somebody steps in and says, you know, the work you're doing is so valuable right now. You shouldn't be Mm. going to another, moving in another direction. Yeah. And I find also the other pieces actually monetizing the work that a lot of women do as freelancers and people constantly coming to us to do work for free. Yes. Yes. So I think that's a really important boundary. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Your time is worth money, your values and your expertise. I mean, all why I, I often think like, I've said it out loud. My goodness, would you ask a man to do this for nothing? Yes, so true. Oh my God. And you want to be kind. You, you, you're you interested in the project. You know you could do a great job. So why am I not being paid for it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. And it not only happens with women, it happens even more with black and brown women, I would think say 1000%. And we're seeing that finally being talked about in the last couple of years, I would say. Well, within the Latino nonprofit community, certainly. Yeah. How many times have we been asked to do a know your rights workshop or do with, I don't have a grant for that. I don't have, you know, why, you know, well, Helen, we know you care. I'm like, I don't care that much. Well, and, and and don't take advantage of the fact that I care. And that's a boundary that you lay. It's like, you don't get to take advantage of me. I'm not your, you know, I'm not your free pass or your beating board. I have, I have a boundary and an expectation around this. And yes, oh, such good points. Thank Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We can't talk about that enough. We just can't <laughs> talk about that enough. Okay. So taking care of our emotional health as much as our physical health, how does that tie in for you? So I'm on this new journey that uh, is more about my physical health because uh, I'm in my 60s and uh, my parents passed of Alzheimer's, both of them. Mm -hmm. And so I 
tended to lean towards my emotional and mental health and my brain. Yes. Uh, as my granddaughter and grandson, well, my grandson started the slogan. Every time he says something smart and we go, oh, wow, that's great. He goes, it's the brain. <laughs> and, and I've taken that it. on as a mantra. But um, my physical health was really not good. Yeah. I was pre-diabetic and all of these things. So what I did was I wrapped my physical health and emotional health together. Mm. Because as we all know, there's the mind-body connection. Absolutely. And I like to say the mind-body-soul connection or heart Yes. Connection. Yep. Yep. And what I started to recognize was that I was not eating well. And that not eating well was affecting my emotions and affecting my brain. Mm -hmm. um, I was not exercising. And I went to see a new doctor, a holistic doctor. She's she's a Western doctor, has all of the qualifications and credentials. Mm -hmm. But she said. She said. Um, yeah, you're really overweight. You know, she was just really frank with me, she says. Yeah. And you need to do something about it. My neurologist said to me, you need to do something radical. Mm. You need to do something radical. And my son had just moved back with us after COVID. He was, well, during COVID, he was worried about us and sure. so moved in with us. And the funny thing is, is he's a, veg he's a vegan. Mm. Well, lo and behold, 10 months later, my husband and I are now vegans. We bought a home that has a huge vegetable garden. Mm. It's, so we're now suburban farmers. <laughs> I love it. And so... I would encourage your audience, Melissa, if they learn nothing more, that the body and the mind and the heart are all connected. Yes. You take care of one, you're taking care of the other. Yeah. And be and just be patient with yourself and be incremental. You're not going to be perfect at it all. I mean, sure. The American society expects so much of us. Yes. It's a high demand culture. It really is. And it's a boom, 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 fast. Do it now. We're very productive, production oriented. Yes. But you can understand because we came from the industrial revolution. Sure. So we moved that, those mechanics yeah. into real life. Into everything we do. Right. Yeah. So um, let me look at that question again. Um, I would, I would say that, uh, Think about how you're feeling as you're exercising. Mm -hmm. Think about how you're feeling as you're cooking good food. Mm -hmm. Think about how you're feeling as you're, you know, sitting down with your son or daughter talking, you know, talking about them getting ready for college. Yeah. All of those make us, you know, and think about what is your purpose? Yes. Yes. What is your purpose? Your purpose for uh, for human beings, our purpose is survival. Yeah, survival, and then you get to come up with the other purposes of your life. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, though, what we with the production piece, we've gotten so into the survival piece that it's been all we do, and we don't actually thrive 
you know, and you talked, that was so beautifully said, what you said about the mind, body, soul connection, because it matters what we put in our bodies. It matters how we're feeling. It matters that we process our emotions fully without feeling inhibited, without feeling shorted. It, mm-hmm. it all those things, it matters our relationships and if they're healthy and if we've whether they're toxic, not toxic, whether we've got people speaking into us that are, that are building us up and and supporting us, being honest with us, being authentic. I'm not talking about tiptoeing around, but, but are about our values and the things that we're about. Those all are connected and they're all one piece. And I love that you talked about how that connection and getting with medical professionals that believe that too. Because it, 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 I think we're learning more and more. I mean, I, I, you know, I talk about in my intro episode of this podcast, how that all became so clear to me when I got here two years ago, the things that were happening in my body that were tied to the trauma that I'd never dealt with, that mm. I started speaking into through writing my story and her story. And that definitely helped and op- kind of opened the bottle, so to speak. But then uh, I, I, you know, I had to fully address all of that and get into that and dive into that. And, and you're doing that now. So thank you. That's such great stuff. Such great stuff. All right. You're very good at this. And so I'm excited to hear your answer on this. The importance of how we can support ourselves and other women in living unapologetically. So I have a question for you, Melissa. When you say unapologetically, Tell me a little bit more about what you mean, because I find that women are the first ones to say, I'm sorry to interrupt. Exactly that. So what I'm talking about is that exactly we as women feel like we're responsible for everything and everyone. And if something goes wrong, if our kid goes to school and they have a bad day because somebody on the playground picked on him, we're sorry. We had no control over that situation we were not there we didn't say it we didn't do it but somehow some way we're apologizing for that how do we not only literally move women from not feeling like they've got to say sorry for everything um but we also our lives live it out in a way like we're not over explaining why we made a decision to do or not do something Mm. we're not allowing the people in the room to tell us we're difficult when they wouldn't say that to a man, when we're simply Mm. standing up for ourselves because it's the right thing to do or the people on our team. Those that's, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. That's really interesting. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, I've had many bosses in my life, mostly women, and it has not been lost on me that oftentimes we have shaped and molded ourselves to be more like men in the workplace. Yep. Especially like women our age or younger. Yep. uh, A little bit younger. Um, And I have found that because the supervisor or the boss or the manager is trying so hard to be something that they're clearly not, that they come down harder on women that they work with. And there have been instances in boardrooms or in whatever, you know, where one woman will say, I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, you're not interrupting. It was quiet. You weren't being impolite. And um, 
I, you know, I would at the end of the meeting go up to her and say, hey, listen, you know, that was a great comment you made. I really loved that. But I noticed you and I stopped using the word but. I stopped using the word but. I used the word and. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that you said, I'm sorry to interrupt. Listen, you don't have to apologize for anything. You were wonderful. But then I realized that wasn't enough because I'm telling her this for she and I. Sure. But not the supervisor in the room wasn't hearing this. Sure. So I would say to to be unapologetic means to be courageous. Mm -hmm. You have to be like brave in a way and recognize you're being brave because all of society has told us to apologize all the time. Yes. Yes. So if I had, if I were to say in front of everybody, Hey, Kathy, that was, you know, or Juana, that was a wonderful, that was wonderful. What you said. And please, the next time, do not apologize. Yeah. You didn't interrupt anyone. And, and even if you did, it was worth it. Yeah, it was it was so important to hear that. Oh, well, OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. And great examples. And that's exactly what I was talking about um, is we've got to. And I think, too, the other thing that's happened with women, because we're trying to live out of this space, being more like men than our authentic selves, we end up creating this competition amongst ourselves instead of re realizing we need to be for each other, we're on the same team. And if we rise up together, we're so much stronger than if we step on each other trying to get to the top. But well, well I think part of the problem is corporate America. Absolutely. Also, and, and nonprofit America. Yes. It is a competition. That's how you get bonuses and raise. Absolutely. Excuse me, and raises and all kinds of other things. But, you know, I worked at a Fortune 100 company and the your your manager or your supervisor at the end of the year had to had to compete for you for the size of your bonus against the other managers. Wow. It was it was brutal. Yeah. So I think I think with younger women Coming into the workplace, I think that will change. I do too. Because I think yeah. I, I may have got three in that generation. And they're like, we're not operating like this anymore. This this killer be killed mentality is not sustainable and it's not working well. And there's got to be men and women were made to be men and women and for a reason because we all bring something to the table and we need to start equally hearing both sides and what they mm -hmm. bring because we're working in this one way. It's not good. It's not good for our health. It's not good for our society. I mean, it's just it's it. There's just so much proof that it's not working. Mm -hmm. And I think that these this group is is going to be. I think our generation started it. We yeah. started challenging the conversation. It's you know we started bringing it into play. But these women are like no, no, <laughs> not doing it. I'm just not. I've seen what it. I've seen what it's done to you. Uh, yeah, you know, as our mothers and our aunts and our grandmothers, and, I'm, and we're not prescribing to that. Thank you for yeah. the moves you've made to make it possible for us to say that, but we're taking this a step further. Mm -hmm. I, think we're, I think we're definitely seeing that. And you and I both are working with women, both through our own children and just through the people we work with in our workspaces where we're seeing that. We're seeing that. Yes. I think of the powerful women that I was in um, my Her Story training with. I mean, oh my gosh, their voices and their courage 
they were just like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing this. (laughs) We're not playing that game. Um, And which is only going to, only going to be good. The importance of setting and coming back to your why in everything you do, because you truly live, whether you know it or not, I believe from my observance of you, you truly live out of a, you have a pretty sound why and your work reflects that. Um, Talk about that. I remember graduating from college from St. Francis in Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. no campus. Yeah. The Brooklyn Promenade. The the Brooklyn Promenade was the campus. Yeah. And I remember um, studying sociology, psychology, and Spanish were my majors and going out for my first job. And it was just the worst possible economic time. And I had made a decision my senior year that I wanted to be a teacher, but it was too late. It was my senior year. Mm. So I went out into the world. And I got this uh, interview with a slipper company. And I got the job. And I felt so blessed. But I also knew, I just kept saying to myself, this is not my purpose. I wasn't, I wasn't brought onto this planet to sell slippers. <laughs> I just can't get with it. I know we need slippers. I know they help us be comfortable. It's a worthy profession if that's what you want to do. And I waited and waited and I finally got a job at Sponsors for Educational Opportunity at 23 years old, Mm. making $13,000 a year. And I was so psyched. And it was all about helping minority young people get into high quality colleges Mm. and to help them be able to compete at that level. Sure. And so that organization is a shining star to me to this day. And I don't know. I just, the, the couple of times that I've swayed, I got very, very hurt. Yeah. I got very, very hurt. And I I have to say that I am sensitive. Um, And it's not that I get easily hurt, but when I get hurt, my, you know, my soul gets hurt. Sure. And because I, I am a hippie at heart (laughs) and just think that it's all about the love, you know, love and peace. And um, for some reason, when I get hurt, I feel like, well, you didn't love me. You know, you Mm -hmm. didn't, you didn't love who I am authentically. Yeah. And so I recommend for people, you know, Melissa, why this show is so important. And I really, I really am so honored to be a part of it is that we don't take enough time to reflect. Yeah. This society, you were talking before about the high level of production. Crunch, crunch, crunch. And so we don't really, and I studied philosophy in college and I would sit there and go, wow, what a treat this is. Mm-hmm. And listen to the theories of and the philosophies of Voltaire and all of these Descartes, all of these great philosophers. 
And that's what I see as the new, the Nancy Levins of the world, the Brene Browns, the all women, if you're listening to folks, what I'm saying. Yeah. To pay attention to what is your purpose and what is your mission in life? Yeah. Like it's very, very intentional that you as a unique individual is on this planet at this very, very crazy time. Why me? Why wasn't I born before this happened? Why wasn't I born before nine, you know, way before nine 11? Yeah. It's a reason why you as an individual are here. Yeah. And what is it that you are going to, how are you going to leave it better than you found it? Yeah. And do the thing that only you were designed to do. I, I think, and the one thing from years ago when The Secret first came out, yeah. which, you know, a lot of people call it, you know, woo-woo and you know, <laughs> hokey and whatever. Even if you don't believe in any of it, the one thing that I thought was so inspiring was when they ask, what do you want? Melissa, you wouldn't believe how many people, including myself, don't even know what we want. I know. I I was there. I mean, that's how I got on this journey a couple of years ago is I was so busy taking care of what everybody else wanted. I had no idea what my dreams were, what I wanted. If somebody asked me what my dream was, I didn't know. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a voice for women, especially in some way. And I wanted to use my experiences to help and, and, and give a platform for those voices, but I didn't know what, but I couldn't put words to that. I couldn't describe it. And Mm -hmm. it was only by being intentional and taking the time and making it a priority that I landed in this space. And Brady and I did a dream wall on his birthday. That was his wish on March 1st to do a dream wall. And this podcast was born out of it. And so I, out of that dream wall day. And so that's when with him kind of prying, like, okay, this, I had four dreams. This was the one he's like, I'm like, which one do I start with? He goes, you were more passionate about that one than the others. We'll pursue the others. I'm not saying they're not pursued, but you get more. That's the most excited I've ever seen you about anything. And so, but I had to be intentional. It took time. It took prodding by him. Like, no, you're going to step aside and decide what your dream is. Not my dream, not the girls' dream, not your coworkers' dream, not this nonprofit that you, not their dream, your dream. And, and it was, it was really outside of my zone. It's like, cause we, as soon as we do anything for ourselves, we hear the, these voices, you're selfish. Um, you know, someone's going to suffer if you choose you. I mean, all these lies that we have been told, um, through the years and, um, and that's so yes, exactly what you said, just taking the time and reflect and think about what you care about, because that also is going to feed back into that emotional, physical soul health, because how you spend your time and our time is valuable and who we give our time to and who we allow to have our time. Mm-hmm. It, it all fits into this. It's all interconnected. And just want to amplify two things that you said. Um, one, one is, you know, you talked about her story writers workshop mm-hmm. and how this experience of her story just 
started to open up the door a little bit to who that kid was, those things that happened to you. And I don't think it's any mistake that, you know, Erica Duncan, the founder, Mm -hmm. you know, talks a lot about, you know, it being a social justice memoir writing experience, because as individuals, if we're not just with ourselves and our own story and have the, the, the courage of our of being vulnerable, right. Mm -hmm. Of being vulnerable and, and writing it down for ourselves first. So you are taking care of yourself by doing her story. Yep. And at the same time, listening to the wisdom that you're putting on the page. Yes. So that's one thing I want to amplify as part of this reflection, this building of your own philosophy of looking at yourself as a kid. And then the other thing I want to amplify is your husband, Brady, and how he he actually is very similar to my own husband Mm -hmm. in that he seems to help guide you in taking care of you. Yeah. And I remember your, the first story you wrote and the second story you wrote where Brady featured very importantly. Yeah. And so I hope your audience, even though we're talking about women and all of that, understand that the man you pick to be your husband is the, I want to say the most important decision you will make in your life. Yeah. That partner matters and what they're speaking, if they're speaking life into you or not. Husband or wife, you know, whether you're gay or straight or whatever you are. Yeah. That the person you are worthy of the best person. And the best person is the person that wants to see you fly. Yes. Yeah. Wants to see you be you authentically as most much of as possible. But anyway, I digress. And your biggest hype person, you know, your biggest hype person, because um, again, we have to be be really, really mindful of the people that we allow to speak into us and that we, mm-hmm. that we allow to have our time and those decisions. And if you're not, if those aren't, those relationships aren't healthy, it will, you will not be able to be your best self. You just won't. Mm-hmm. You just won't. Thank you. Thank you for that. And yes. Yeah. I, we are both very fortunate that way. Mm-hmm. We have those high people. Um, all right growing out of expectations. And what I mean by that is living by your own expectations versus the world around you's expectations of you, which is very difficult for women. There are, we've talked about this already. There are plenty of people out there that have their expectations of us that they would like us to live by. So how do you live out of yours and and, and with out letting those voices creep in, being respectful, being loving, but also be like, no, I, I, I'm the, I'm the one that gets to decide that. Well, the first thing I do is I recognize, you know, I'm a deep listener. Mm -hmm. So I do try to take in what someone is saying. I don't interrupt them while they're speaking. My brain is not thinking about my response Mm. before they finish speaking, because if my response, if I'm thinking of my response, I'm not listening to them. Exactly. So I wait 
And then, you know, I try to be respectful, but I also try to remember that the world is very chaotic right now mm-hmm. and that people are feeling out of control. Yeah. And when we feel out of control, what is the first thing we try to do is control. Yes. Anything so around that us we, that we think we can grab hold of. Right. So that we can feel. And so I've got to control this argument or I've got to control this, you know, and I think that what people have done is, you know, like dug their heels in sometimes against logic, mm-hmm. against evidence or facts, you know, and I think we went through four years of feeling really out of control, even those who were excited about the past administration, they also felt out of control because like there were no societal norms anymore. And you couldn't tell what was a lie or what was truth. And so it really deteriorated our sense of self as Americans. Yes. And so who, who are we as Americans? Are we this melting pot? Are we, are we a piece of tapestry with all different um, weaves in it uh, and colors? Um, and so when you're grappling with so much and, and, you know, you've got your kids, I don't wear, want to wear these masks and you've got your parents saying they don't want to take the vaccine. It's just way too much. Yeah. So when I, I take all of those things into consideration and I try to practice loving kindness mm-hmm. and I try to, you know, put myself in that person's place. But if that person doesn't give me the same respect, mm-hmm. I have to sort of unnegotiate the conversation. I have yeah. to pull away and say, and just say, you know, I appreciate your opinion, but that's not how I feel. And maybe with time, we'll both start thinking differently. Who knows? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I feel like a person is not their opinions. Yes. You know, a person is not their opinions. Yeah. But we've made them that way over the last four years, I think. We are so... We have stopped seeing people as people and we have started seeing people as their alignments or their opinions. Right. And which is goes back to the work that's, that her story does that, that builds those bridges and it creates possibilities to have conversations and mm-hmm. and just and just knowing what, OK, this is where my line is. I, I will be kind. I will be empathetic. But this is this is what I expect from my relationships. This is what I expect of myself. And this is where my line is and where my boundary is. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. How about accepting the layered aspects ourselves? We tend to want to just talk about the showy stuff. I mean, I think, and I, and I love Instagram. I use it, but Instagram is a prime example. You don't see anybody's bad day on Instagram. (laughs) Very rarely. Sometimes people will be joking. You only see the highlight reel. Yeah. You tend to want to live in a highlight reel. And we don't really want to talk about, deal with, process the public to know about all the layered aspects of, of ourselves. But what I have learned is it's all those different aspects that make us who we are. I don't want to have that hard experience again, but it's made me who I am. You don't want to have your hard experiences. I mean, you, your, your um, 
page one story in her story is so emotional and, and heart-wrenching, but it made you who you are. I mean, it, it, and so as much as, so talk about it, those layered aspects of ourselves and, and, and incorporating and in, into those pieces of all that we are and not just the good stuff. I, I think um, it's an interesting question. I've never thought about this actually. See, a lot of this that you're asking, I've never really thought about. And I think it's wonderful because, you know, as the daughter of immigrant parents who came from Cuba and Puerto Rico, I do see life differently than most, I think, who were born in this country. And, you know, I, I feel like there are layers of me that I haven't even really, really looked at carefully because either they're painful yeah. or traumatic or, you know, I, I remember being in therapy at one point and saying to my therapist, I came from a very close knit family. And by the end of therapy, I realized I did not. Mm. That there were a lot of secrets in my family, that there was a lot of withholding of love when I misbehaved. Uh, You know, uh, there was a lot of watching my grandparents have uh, sort of a loveless marriage. There was all of these things that I had never, you know, I just have a, a, a personality that looks at the sunny side of life. Yeah try to be positive, try to, because my father was such a warrior mm-hmm. and a, and a warrior, yeah. warrior and a warrior yeah. at the yeah. same time. And um, how do you pay attention to all of those pieces of yourself and be, you know, we talk a lot about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we don't talk enough about forgiveness of self. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We carry a lot of shame. We carry a lot of resentment and hurt, but but we don't forgive ourselves for our mistakes. Yeah. And having taught her story in the jails, for instance, has given me a completely different perspective. Watching, you know, young moms mm-hmm. who became addicted on drugs or who got in a car drunk and killed someone mm. you know i mean that do i think they should have gotten in a car drunk and killed someone no of course not but when you make such a huge mistake how do you continue living yeah. how do you continue how do you forgive yourself yeah i'm not saying that you don't I, 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 the word repent is not the right word. Yeah. Uh, you don't grieve and be. Accountable. How do you rehabilitate yourself? How do you sure. be a full human being after an experience like that? Yeah. And what do you learn from that? Yeah. But society, we see a drug addicted mother in jail, lose her child and now say, well, you don't deserve that child because yeah. you love drugs more than you loved your child. Yeah. Instead of looking at the pain that got her to the drugs in the first place. That's right. And so to to look at the root causes in yourself 
Yeah. Like what were the root causes of me having done that thing? Yeah. Well, like um, one of my favorite folks is, uh, I can't say her name correctly, Iyanla Van Zandt. Yes, yes. I know who you're talking about. Because she talks about the generational DNA of suffering that goes across generations. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is the part about loving yourself and forgiving yourself. Yes. Because you're not perfect and no one is. I don't care what anybody says. No one is perfect. Yeah. So when you have expectations, they're not only expectations of society, but the ones you put on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And are they loving and are they, you know, and just that right, such good points of just that recognition of it's all part of who it makes us, who we are and, and giving ourselves grace, you know, I mean, we're not perfect, but yet we ask uh, our perfection of ourselves and we only want to show the shiny parts of ourselves, but we're all, we're none of us are perfect. We all have those pieces of our stories that aren't pretty. Um, it's such an important word, Melissa Grace. Yes. You know, when people ask you, um, and I don't know if you've been asked this, do you regret anything? Mm -hmm. And I've heard very smart people say, no, I don't regret anything. It's, it's made me who I am today. Wow. I, I really have to ponder that because (laughs) I do have regrets. Absolutely. I feel like I'm so lame. I'm Helen, you're so lame. How come you you're not like so smart like these people that they say no because it made me who I, but shoot, I really do have some regrets. Oh, 100%. I do too. And I think you can have regrets and still realize what you learned from the experience. You know, right. I think sometimes people think and I'm not saying those people don't have regrets. That's their story to tell, not mine. But I think sometimes we think that well, we can't say we have regrets or that means we didn't gain anything from that or it makes it an experience that wasn't meaningful or valuable or whatever. And it's like, no, I mean, I've got some specific things in my life that if I could go back and do over again, I would have made a different decision, but I haven't missed what I learned from it. Mm -hmm. I haven't missed how it still contributed to who I am today. So, I mean, I think that, I think we have to, I think we have to, think about regrets differently or what we Mm -hmm. think about them differently. Um, And it doesn't mean that we didn't gain or learn or, you know, see that point. So I think that's a really good point. Really good point. All right. Um, Cultivating healthy relationships with others. I would say that all of these things we've just talked about are necessary to have in place in our lives in order for us to have healthy relationships boundaries, healthy expectations, healthy wives, um, living unapologetically. Tell me about your experience with that because you talked, you hit on something earlier that I think was really important because I've had a similar experience. When you talked about going through therapy and coming into it with one idea about your family and leaving with a whole new realization, I've had the same experience. So talk about that and how that's contributed to being more mindful of healthy relationships. I think self-awareness mm-hmm. is probably the most important thing for a healthy relationship. Um, I've seen the ebbs and flows of relationships with my family, with my husband, my children. 
And the more self-aware I became, for instance, I have several friends who are grandparent age Mm -hmm. and who constantly tell me how they walk on eggshells Mm -hmm. around their daughter or son, Mm -hmm. primarily daughters, Mm -hmm. um, so that they can have a relationship with the grandchild. And it just breaks my heart. It just, it smothers me because, you know, I had to have a conversation with my daughter about this. I don't want that. Yeah. Let's, let's set up a little plan. I will tell you my opinion. I'm older. I've been through what you're going through. I'm a wise Latina now, you know, (laughs) like, uh, you know, like, um, like chief, like the justice, Sonia Sotomayor, yes. a wise Latina. And once you get to a certain age and, <laughs> and Melissa, I will, I will, I will say you are a wise Latina too. Thank you. you really by that. But if you know who you are and you can stand in your own truth, when you react to things differently early in my marriage, yeah. because I didn't ever want to be alone, mm. I would squash my husband's mm. Um, desire to have friendships, to Mm. play golf, to do his own hobbies, because I couldn't bear to be alone. Had I known why I was like that, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, no, I had the same thing. Same thing, major issue with codependency. So I think self-awareness, I think, um, I think it's really important to let people know before you're making a switch in the way you're going to relate to them. Sure. In other words, take the, be respectful and take the time to say, listen, I've just come to this realization. Yeah. Through no fault of your own. This is what's happening with me. Yeah. And this is how my behavior is going to be changing with you. Yeah. You know, I was terrible at the hard conversations. Horrible. I could not confront people with anything. (laughs) I would, I was such a passive aggressive person because I couldn't, you know, my, my dad was very hard on us Mm -hmm. and you couldn't come to him with the truth. And my mother was learned how to, as a, as a woman from, you know, the fifties learned how to manipulate him Mm. without being truthful. Yes. So she would get her way by being extra kind or extra whatever, or cooking his favorite meal or getting his, whatever it is. And my mother was a businesswoman. So, you know, to me, it's all about educating people about who you are. Yeah. You have become, because we're never the same person from, from year to year. Yeah, absolutely. No, we go through different seasons. We evolve. I mean, I talked about this in my last episode with my friend, Elizabeth Fisher-Grid of both of us, how we've changed in the six years we've known each other individually and how if people that knew me 10 years ago, I'm I'm a lot different now, (laughs) you know, they wouldn't necessarily recognize me or know me, but until you tell somebody about that, they're not mind readers. They're going going to assume that you are still in the same space you've always been. And then, so we can't be upset if they respond a certain way, if we haven't communicated with them what, where we've changed and, and how we're seeing the world. 
you know, so mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really, really important point. And we're some, I know I'm guilty of, I mean, especially those relationships you've had a long time. I'm dealing with that right now. I'm not in the same space as I was four years ago, five years ago on a lot of things. I don't see eye to eye with you anymore. I've moved to this place. Um, and, but I can't, it's, it's not, I shouldn't just assume that they know that now, sometimes they do, if they follow me at all, if they've had any kind of conversations with me, Mm -hmm. you know, they will know that, but it's not, you know, it's not fair for me to just be like, well, you should know that about me now. So I think that's a really good point of, of just, you know, being our authentic selves and, but also being realistic and fair, get away from the passive aggressive. It's, it's, it's an easy fallback, but it's not going to contribute to a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And knowing that sometimes there's some relationships that have their seasons and that's okay. And good and, point. And that's okay. I'm mean, not every relationship is meant to be for your whole life. And that's okay. That doesn't mean anybody was mean or it did anything wrong. Um, you just sometimes grow into different seasons. And so being okay with that too, and deciding which ones are worth. No, this one I want to be. So what do we have to do to give and take to make that possible? What kind of empathy, respect, boundaries do we have to lay to allow us to continue to be in a relationship? And is- I think you make such a great point because it's also sometimes people come into our path because we need to learn something or about ourselves. Sure. When you were talking about her story and the writing experience, Yes, other people learn about us and our experiences. Um, but boy, you learn so much about, so much more about yourself. Oh my gosh. When you write. Oh my gosh. Like nothing I've ever done before. Nothing I've ever done before. Um, yes. Oh, such good stuff. Okay. What are some practices you use to process your emotions in a healthy way? And, and how does that, and really it ties into how do you live out feel? The name of the podcast is Finding Empowerment, Embracing Layers. Um, so we've kind of talked about these different talking points and subjects today, kind of wrapping that up into a collective, how would you say you live that out and process those emotions in a healthy way? Um, I now know how to tell when I'm, getting anxious or agitated before something comes out of my mouth. Mm. I I now know that my left hand starts to tingle when I'm getting and and so I I'm now paying attention to that a lot more. Yeah. And I I remember when you were a kid, I don't know if your parents did this, you know, you're really angry and they tell you to stop and count to 10. Yes. 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 I don't know who came up with that, but I think that that's a wonderful way to give yourself space and time to, before you react to things. Yes. And, you know, really we're getting good at listening to others, but the listening to yourself Uh, You know, at Her Story, we're trained as facilitators. Melissa, you'll know this. Mm -hmm. We're we're trained as facilitators to do deep listening. Mm -hmm. But at the same time that you're listening, you're listening to yourself about how to help the writer 
structure their piece in a way that's very compelling to the stranger reader, right? Yep. yep. And so it's kind of that thing, you have a brain, but you also have a mind. Ooh. And your mind is the one that is critiquing everything that's going on. If you've ever practiced, like I do guided meditation, I try mm-hmm. to do it. I'm not really great every morning, but yeah. I do see the difference. Yes. So I do guided meditation and you know how they, you're trying to, you know, shut down the mind because that mind is very chattering. Yeah. Racing. And you don't have your mind has, and your brain doesn't have a moment to rest. Yeah. Even when you're sleeping, yeah. you're dreaming. So I think that's, that's a way that I process my emotions is to, Okay, is this my mind or my brain? What is taking in the information? Mm-hmm. Count to 10. Um, I do write um, such a good, you know, when we when I say goodbye to you t- today, mm-hmm. you, I'm going to be thinking about this for weeks. These questions are so marvelous. Good. I love that. That's awesome. So marvelous. Good stuff. And then your other question about, um, finding empowerment, embracing layers. Yeah. I love that because we are such a black and white society. You're either for this or you're against it. You either like it or you love it. You, it's not like there's a part of me that does like this. There's a part of me that doesn't, you could like and not like the same thing at the same time. It's Absolutely. Feel multiple things at one time. I've been sad and happy at the same time. And yes. don't ask me how that happens. Like at my daughter's wedding. Yeah. I was so happy. She had found her love. She had, you know, she was starting her life and I was so sad. I was so sad. My buddy had grown up and she was, going off on her own, you know? Yeah. So I think this piece about, this is so unique, finding empowerment. Yes, that's, that's cool, but that's not unique to, to Melissa and what you've come up with, but this embracing layers Yeah. in ourselves and in others, Mm -hmm. that's really very deep. Thank you. And I appreciate that because it's, we're so multifaceted. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned in my journey the last couple of years is that I can feel multiple emotions at one time and that's totally okay and acceptable. I don't, I can both love you and disagree with you. I don't Mm -hmm. have to hate you. If I disagree with you, I can be sad that the world is in the state it's in and still be thankful for the multiple ways I'm blessed within it. I don't have to, you know, I can see the things that need to be fixed in our country and still be thankful that I live here and have the freedoms I do. You know, and I, this black one way or the other thing is just not, it's not real. It's, and it's not sustainable and it's not healthy for us. Um, so, and I think that's, and if we're living in a way that way, we're not processing all of our emotions. We're not feeling everything. We're not acknowledging everything. And it's going to hit us in a problematic way at some point. It's going to show up in your body or your life in some other way, whether it's damaging relationships, whether it's physical health, you know, it's going to show up. And so we've got to get to a point where we can embrace that and be okay with that. Um, it's the only way we're going to get to back to a space of being able to be 
neighbors to each other in a kind and, and, and loving way. It's very, very important. It's, it's, yeah. it's critical. Yeah. It's critical. This country is an experiment in so many ways. Yeah. But we have been sold mm-hmm. a lot of our history that either is not fully true or not respectful of the truth. Exactly. And it doesn't mean, it's so interesting. I love this country because it took in two immigrants and allowed them the amazing opportunities that led them to own a home, send their two girls to college, so many things. Yes. And, and, and freedom. Yes. And the Constitution and the preamble and the Bill of Rights. I mean, yes. every immigrant should read those documents to understand yeah. how this country had a philosophy. Was it perfect? No. It had slavery. It had all of these things. And it yeah. continues to not be perfect. Yeah. But. But we want to make it. We all want to make it better. Yes. And we know it can be better. Yeah. So. I just wanted to end. I, I think we're towards the end, Melissa. Let me not yeah. run your show here, but <laughs> we got a, one more rapid fire wrap up. But yes, in this. Okay. Topic, yeah. On a note of hopefulness. Yes. You brought up this theme of dreams. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, I'm going to start crying, but as individuals. What is your dream? What are your hopes and dreams for yourself? Yeah. For your family and for the country. Yeah. For the world. The planet needs you. The, yeah. you know, kids who can't read need you. Uh, young unmarried mothers need you. You know, yeah. there's so much that one can do. Yeah. And you find hope when you give to others, you're actually giving to yourself. Yeah. And you find hope in that. You do. Absolutely. 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 All right. For the rapid fire, name five activities that nourish you. Okay. Guided meditations. Writing. I do enjoy a good spa experience. Absolutely. And massage, I must say. I love reading memoirs. My favorite. And I'm getting ready to start that vegetable garden. So we're in the weeding process. (laughs) The good and the bad, all the layers of it. That's right. (laughs) All right. And five words on how you want to feel the next six months. Accomplished. Happy. Comfortable in my own self. Mm. Loved. And... I'll wrap up with bliss. Bliss. Ooh, I like that. I like that. That's really good. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for your time today. This conversation has been everything and more that I imagined it would be. So much good wisdom, experience, insight. So much, so wise, so wise in the things that you do and the things you're involved in. Again, people, check out our website, embracinglayers.com. 
to learn about all of the sources we discussed today will be noted in there. Any sources that Helen wants to share with you about her work will be in there. Also in the show notes, anything Helen wants to share about the things that she does, how you can learn more about her and her causes will be in there. So check that out as well in the show notes. And all these things will be highlighted on our Instagram page at Embracing Layers. Thanks so much for being with us today and have a great week. Bye, everybody. Embrace your layers. Embrace your layers. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay.